Are you ready to begin? I am. Hey, this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season, we have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. And we are two girls. Two sad. Let's jump into the syllabus. Woo. <laughs> Each time I try to get a little peppier. <laughs> That's good. Each time I try to get a little bit sadder. Just kidding. <laughs> Provide some contrast, you know? <laughs> Yeah, a nice yin and yang. Um, how's it going? More American. This is not Americans abroad. Yeah, this is just. But it's w- within this season. Americans abroad. The movie that we're talking about is Europeans going across the sea. Yes, I did have some questions about where she was supposed to be from. There was a couple of very strange conversations. <laughs> um yeah in this movie yeah 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 but we can get into that yeah I guess I just assumed that she was oh but then Dakota Johnson's American Dakota Johnson's American in the most of her group is yeah and who I don't is it her cousin or whatever I don't know um who has a conversation with Olivia Coleman I'm just like, obviously, Olivia, Olivia Coleman is British. Mm-hmm. She has a British accent in this movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, and they're like, where are you from? And she's like, Boston, because that's where she's she's teaching Cambridge, she always says. Oh, right, right. Cambridge near Boston. And it's like, okay, we know where you're teaching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie we're but, talking the- about, by the way, is <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> The Lost Daughter. It, which is the adaptation, an adaptation of Elena Ferrante's novel. Right. And Wait. it was, was it, it's a Luca Guadagnino, right? No, it's oh. Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's her first. I thought she was a producer. Whoa. No, okay. A, it's her first directorial. Damn. Debut. But it does, it is very Guadagnino in some ways. And I think a little Tom Forty as well um but anyway continue so she she sorry. says that she's from, <laughs> that she teaches at fucking harvard she teaches and, at harvard but in the most pretentious way she does not say that she teaches at harvard um <laughs> and <laughs> then she also well right and then they're like well where's your family from and she's like oh Leeds, right or like you know she mm-hmm. names somewhere in england and the cousin said, oh, I thought you were from Queens. What? And then they make I a joke about remember it. that. Whoa. And that one, I was like, because she's like, she kind of gives an attitude at the point. Like, I didn't know if it was like this, like New York joke or what. But Olivia mm-hmm. Coleman has a very obvious English accent. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I, um, yeah, I do. I watched this, I don't know, at the end of May, I think. So it's been a minute, but um um yeah I do remember that and I guess I took that to mean like oh she has an attitude so she's from Queens kind of thing I did that's yeah. where my mind went but yeah and then I I also thought that they were in England like when she flashes back to her early life with her husband ex-husband 
Yeah. Uh, I thought that they were in England, but I don't know why I assumed that. You know, I don't know where they are. Her daughters sort of have accents, but I don't think her husband does. I thought that he was British too. Well, maybe he is. So maybe they're British. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, which it's also equally, um, it's it's sort of confusing. Well, the only Elena Ferrante books, I've read like a little bit of the My Brilliant Friend, the the Neapolitan yeah novels what quadrant or whatever (laughs) i don't remember yeah um and i read uh the days of abandonment and there those are all italian elena Ferrante is italian but technically she's like canadian right i think she's italian we still have never confirmed her real identity but it's very clearly the translator who also works at the publishing company and gets her royalties um but a lot of people also try to say it's that woman's husband, which seems really sexist. Um, Wait, for for the actual identity of Elena Ferrante. What 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 husband? Um, his name. Oh like, oh, really? So Domenico. He's also a writer. Um, there was this. So oh. her name is like Anita Raja or something like that, um, and she she lives in Naples um and her husband is also a writer and she is a longtime copy editor of his and this group of like Padua um I actually did some research on this because we were talking about it before we requested but recorded but um this group of like Padua researchers did this like whole study of like Hmm. a bunch of different authors to try to figure out who Elena Ferrante really was it's so ridiculous and they took all of these samples from like like hundreds of writers including this man Domenico whose name I can't remember starts with an S um but not of Anita Raja they did not take samples of work published under that under her own name and she is the translator she's a she works as a translator and editor and she has edited her husband copy edited her husband's um work and works with him closely on it and so they like during their research they're like oh it's this this writer and it's not that lady even though Hmm. (laughs) like it was really silly Hmm. so they attributed elena ferrante to this man even though they also didn't analyze his wife's work mm-hmm. and his wife has very much formed his work too. Like based on like analysis yeah. of language and like form and like, you know, like use of grammar and like da da da. <sighs> and it's stupid. Anyways, sorry. Um, Long tangent there. <laughs> well, yeah. So my point there was like <laughs> Elena Ferrante is um, allegedly Italian. Uh, and the novels that I have read are the characters are Italian. <laughs> allegedly Italian. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, some of her characters and the place settings are Italian. Um, and so this is but this diverges from that. This is like a holiday in Italy, right? I think they're in Greece, at least in the movie. Oh, 
I thought that the whole like American family was like an Italian American family. They are. But they're in Greece. Oh my God. Yeah. Literally everything is so confusing about <laughs> this. What is happening? Very, very confusing. <laughs> and they you meet like one Greek person. <laughs> yeah. <entire> yeah, it's the old guy, right? <laughs> yeah. He I mean, well, helps have, her with the luggage. You you have him and it's unclear if he's American and lives there. And lives there, but then, yeah. Then there's like a couple of like locals that you just meet in passing. Yeah. And that's the entire Greek life that you get. Which is really like um for me is also situates that in this like um Americans abroad genre is like um is these small little resort towns um are uh completely the backdrop and completely like in all in all of these movies that we have talked about and that we will talk about um it's it's uh they don't exist the people who like the actual people who live there and the people who um well and and yeah it, it just doesn't exist it's it's like a uh set it's like a set yeah yeah like the one time she's at all with locals is when they she goes to that like sort of dance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was very familiar to call me by your name yes oh my (laughs) gosh yes (laughs) the army euro discotheque to the ed harris dance yeah well paired yeah uh yeah, so the, there's like very few. And it, that's what made it very confusing to me because, you know, you find her at this place. They don't say where they are. Right, you know, right. Like it's a very like, it's just you're just dropped there. Nondescript beach place. Mm-hmm. And then so you're meeting this family and they're like, oh, we come here every year. And it's like very clearly they're like Jersey, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. like Italian American family. Um, and they're like, oh, but our family's here from centuries. So I was like, okay, it's Italy, but then other people are Greek. Maybe, so, you and know, maybe we're in an in, in between. Maybe, yeah, like an, in an island. You know, it might just be like one of those, uh, um, yeah, one of those fictionalized, like you're not supposed to know where kind of thing. Which, I, and and um, it makes sense because it's sort of like it, it's. It, it makes sense to do that as a literary device, as a narrative or a literary device to fictionalize the place and not, and not have it exist and not like put any details in there. Because like the point is to just say like, this is the kind of story that plays out on, this is the kind of like dark human story that plays out on vacation um, Mm -hmm. when you're on your holiday kind of thing. Um, And I think there's a big difference to me between between Americans abroad and Europeans abroad kind of thing. Um, just because Americans abroad, it's like that. And this is like slightly different from the stories that will in, in, okay. <laughs> Let me take a pause. I have way too many thoughts that are like coming and trickling into my head right now and my mouth can't keep up. Um, this type of the films that we're talking about um captures like it's like americans who are very european when they go to europe but like in real life um Amer- when americans take a euro trip it's like work it's very very hard work like americans come up with itineraries 
they like have like identifying like flags and backpacks when they go so that their whole family can like doesn't get separated kind of thing um people like it's it's very much work and you have your list of like things that you need to do um when like things that you need to see kind of thing and like pack into your like 10 day whatever uh 10 day trip when Europeans go elsewhere because it's and and it's part of I think that this is just like because it's embedded in the culture because it's like all part of the EU and it's like very easy to get from place to place um it's it's very much an escape and it's just like I'm just going to the seaside to like read and just escape my Mm -hmm. real life and it's not work at all a holiday is truly like a holiday whereas like Americans I have a feeling (laughs) like are just because like I, I only took one like European trip with my family when I was younger but and it was like this but I also have a feeling just from like other friends that I have observed going on trips it's just like it's not a holiday you have to like do x y and z you have to do it in that order and like if the itinerary gets thrown off um and it's just this like workaholic nature of Americans anyway um and so I think that these oh sorry my cat Susie's on holiday yeah and she's also on my laptop (laughs) oh Suze okay I just can't see you but I mean I I know that I'm here yeah I'm here there we go um um, but yeah so it's sort of like these this sort of darker side of human drama comes out um and it's just like this is what happens when you have nothing to do nothing to distract you or whatever kind of thing like this is the the uh sinister like stuff that can happen and also when you're on holiday and there's like I don't know every people are not their norm their average selves are not their normal selves when they're on holiday and so you also get this like when people like get tense or something or like some interaction gets dramatic or, or there's like it, it, things can get things can go like really bad as well as just be like relaxed and, and really good I don't know I don't mm-hmm. know no I mean you have that especially with like what Dakota Johnson's character who's like okay like I'm I'm gonna have an affair while on this holiday um but doesn't know how to handle it because she doesn't know if it's actually something she wants because she doesn't know what she wants. Um, <laughs> but there is like, yeah. it's almost like you're in like some sort of liminal state or like yeah. an, an area where like your emotions are less repressed or less, um, you're less in control, I guess, things. And so you also have Olivia Coleman acting like a huge weirdo multiple yeah. times and then she's like oh <laughs> shit what did I just fucking do <laughs> yeah and maybe um that's also why you don't need to know like where it actually is like is it yeah. Italy is it Greece it's just like nondescript you're just like out in the middle of the ocean and just doing doing whatever so that you can like connect with your subconscious and you know it's also interesting because in this movie like not that much happens yeah yeah, it's really just Not flashbacks. Really at all. Yeah, right. There's a lot of flashbacks, perhaps too many. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and like the current action of the movie is like Olivia Coleman steals a baby doll. Right. That's <laughs> but it is like, you know, everything is like tenser and there's it's sweatier and <laughs> And, it's a ton, yeah. And, and well, and it's a big reflection on her decision to leave her family right. when she was younger and um, sort of she may she may be encountering her younger self in Dakota Johnson um, because D- Dakota Johnson like sort of has this affair in order to escape her uh, mundane life and maybe trying to escape like the reality of, of raising children. Um, and, and so Olivia Coleman like sees a, a, her own reflection in that. And so it makes her more reflective. Um, and, but yeah, I never, I, I was just like, why is she like going crazy and stealing this baby doll? Uh, <laughs> like, why would that, what I what I'm trying what is curious to me is like why would her I want to know if there is a if her reflection on her life as a young mother is causing her to is what motivates her to like steal this baby doll and like act crazy yeah I mean I think there's like a good amount of like self-hatred um and then she's placing that onto Dakota Johnson so she's like okay how do I sabotage your time here? Make your daughter a pain in the ass by stealing this stuff. <laughs> and it it felt a little bit like, like, is she trying to push Dakota Johnson to be like, yeah, I'm going to make your daughter a pain in the ass. I'm going to try to get you to leave your kids so that I feel justified in my decision to leave my family when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And it does, it, it feels like, um, she, she knows that, um, like whether she did what she had to do or not, you know, like whether her family, like the character's family was like suffocating her, but like, she knows that like, it was, she probably, she has a lot of guilt and she knows that it was like the wrong thing to do or like the way that she went about it was wrong or whatever. And so she wants to see another mother doing that so that it, she feels less, uh, less culpable or like she feels just justified, I guess. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, she's not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, she's on holiday in this movie. She calls it a working holiday. I think we do it. See her like take two notes. Um, <laughs> cause she's a professor yeah. of art history well no or maybe it's more i think it's i think it's linguistics linguistics okay because i think that she's a translator oh wait i think that she she's a translator maybe that's a clue and oh my god elena um Hmm. (laughs) but i i was thinking about this a lot is i think the academic theme carries through this entire season that you have (laughs) on holiday academics and students is in all ways talented mr ripley are they academics they're in school oh i think or just graduated but they are like 
Pretty yeah. educated. Yeah. 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 Um, so I would say they're like a little bit sad, but we have some up, more upcoming that are also professors. And I, I talked to you about this book beforehand, but it reminded me a lot of this. Um a separation by Katie Kitamura, which oh, is a yeah. novel about yeah. a British woman who has been estranged from her husband recently. It's a recent separation. They haven't told anyone. Um, and he, I believe is a writer, goes on holiday in Greece and disappears, right? No one knows where he is. Mm. So she goes down there to find him because no one knows that they're not together. And his yeah. parents are like, trying to find him and she's in some like remote area of Greece it's a it's in the summer it's definitely a way different not like resort town like everything is on fire there's like multiple fires there's a bunch of stray dogs like it's not quite the same um and it it is it's a similar I feel like reflection of like oh I never knew this person at all kind Mm, of thing but mm -hmm, she's mm -hmm. I think she's also a translator <laughs> weird yeah weird i i do recommend the book but i feel like you know even last week we were also dealing with academics and call me by your name mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um it seems to be a running theme and i don't know if it's like a way to engage with the like they are engaging in a certain way with the culture of the area that they're in yeah. because they've studied it or know the language or something, even though obviously, as we've talked about, they're very much removed Yeah, like in Olivia Coleman's case, um, very much removed from that actual, any actual culture. She's in a resort town. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting to me. Why? <laughs> Why well, are an academic? <laughs> um, there's also like huge, there's huge amounts of privilege being an academic, one of yes. which is, one of which is time. Like you have yeah. three months off. Right. And um, so I guess it just like makes more sense um, if you want your characters to be not super wealthy, but have the time to go away for a long time, then you have to right. make them an academic. because otherwise it would be totally unbelievable like someone with like a pcm wait pmc wait professional managerial class pmc (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) someone with like a a pmc email job like can't go to europe for like several weeks right and do absolutely nothing all day yeah which looked amazing I was like, Olivia, stop talking to Coach Johnson and get out of this creepy, weird little family's business. <laughs> Go sunbath, girl. Yeah. Yeah. And all, you know what's really crazy? And I think that <laughs> I think that it's just because it's like on my mind, but like every like there are so many people that I know who are like in Lake Como this summer. <laughs> it's just and and it's and they're all like sort of staggered. Like it started, it started in like mid July and like pretty much every week, like someone on my feed is like leaving and someone else goes in and they're all fucking talking about like Como and like hiking up the damn hills and it, oh geez. I'm like, okay. Maybe they're all renting the same place. They, they have like a timeshare. 
actually only Cuomo. Uh, it's uh yeah it's pretty weird and um well and then there's the phenomenon though however okay wait i have to i'm gonna have to amend my comment about academics um being the only ones with the privilege of going because now there's this new phenomenon of like like the whole like the meme there's this enduring meme or enduring since the beginning of like the spring this spring and summer of like you can you can work fully remotely and so you just like travel and it's just like like all product managers in america are just like 27 year old girls earning earning like 80k and just (laughs) working from europe yeah yeah well right i wonder how much uh i wonder how different this will be like in a summer of the what are they calling calling them like remote towns like yeah where like all of these towns that are a little more rural all of a sudden now have this influx of residents who are remote workers and who aren't necessarily really contributing to local economy in any way. Yeah. You're seeing that with Mexico a lot. Yes. Complaint. Right. Um, Yeah. And in like, in like five to 10 years, all the novels are going to be about product managers (laughs) instead of linguists. (laughs) Honestly, will be so boring, but, you know, I guess I'm here for it. We already went through the, like, phase of novelists trying to capture the, like, mundanity of office life, looking at you, DFW, but it's going to happen again, but it's going to be like, I was sweating it, it, like it <laughs> I was sweating the, br- the brilliant summer sun of like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be pretty, um, embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's, yeah. In this, all life is just a cycle every 80 years or so it just like turns over into something you know like yes uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> i don't know why i'm <laughs> but yes um it all just like repeats like the same thing over and over again yeah and in a time of like serious crisis and also identity crisis for on a global scale on a national but also on a global scale like people just like decide to like they try to like do whatever they can to transform their life right and it's usually like traveling somewhere um to find yourself as we talked about last time or maybe to unbury things that you wanted to stay buried like this time um Yeah. yeah yeah I mean yeah that's definitely true and people can travel I don't mean to judge them all. People can travel. It's <laughs> fine. But I mean, like, it also happened. I mean, it happens after the First World War as well. Right. People are, like, going to the Southwest um, to find themselves kind of thing. And, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's going to be, like, product managers or the. <laughs> oh, God. Um, 
and they're the ones who are like uniquely situated with like just enough privilege like the product managers it's not like the like it's not like the engineers or the developers have right. time they are like slaves in their own. yeah they're jamming it has to be um, someone who has like a reasonable flexibility with their job where like their hours are yeah sort of self-determined and that they yeah. can easily get away with not doing like a full 40 yeah you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and and but that's also like it's also good that that is infiltrating yeah. culture like understanding that there is there's really no reason to like work eight hours a day <laughs> no no I mean definitely on that case, yeah it's like it just thinks that there's only like certain amounts of people, uh, people who, can, who can do that yeah can do that mm-hmm. um we should have to work one day a week <laughs> <laughs> um I always laugh when I see like job listings and stuff that's like salary is this it's a four-day work week in our office I know um yeah which is cool but um (laughs) do you think (laughs) do you think Olivia Coleman's character is happy with the decision that she made (laughs) (laughs) I feel that like basically any Elena Ferrante character I've ever read no decision was ever going to make them happy (laughs) but there is no happy decision yeah that's true yeah Elena Ferrante is very sad girl she's very sad oh my god yeah um yeah that's true there is no happiness any any alternative which like I don't know um I guess that's also just like that's a certain milieu of um it's a certain milieu of like feminism from like the late 20th century where it's just like being a woman is miserable right that's the conclusion yeah (laughs) and for I guess I I looked at some reviews and it was interesting like where people film because they're like this movie is a great like um great advertisement for not having kids mm-hmm. um because she obviously really seems to not like yeah being a mother but at the same time then you do have a few flashbacks where obviously she very much loves her children um and does enjoy them mm-hmm. And that's how the movie ends as well, right? Um, But, you know, I don't know. I feel like there is an expectation of, like, you know, becoming a mother. And maybe Olivia Coleman's character just was not meant to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, right, is, like, Mm -hmm. the simplest ever. I don't know. Some people, I saw some people arguing, like, oh, like, this is motherhood, right? Like, that it's really hard sometimes Mm -hmm. and other times it's so fulfilling and you love it. Um, But I got the sense that it was less fulfilling for her. (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) That it was hard, you know? Right. Right. And, but, and, um, and, and sure, like it's, it's obvious. And that's why she made that decision. Right. Um, But, but I wonder like, 
if she is because I think about this like if she is experiencing guilt or whatever mm-hmm. and um and if she's like happy with that with that decision that she made the choice that she made um to to like abandon her kids and while it's interesting I never I didn't read The Lost Daughter um or I haven't read it yet at least um only watched the movie but when I read Days of Abandonment um I uh it was this is why I say that it the conclusion is just like being a woman is miserable in Days of Abandonment like she also finds motherhood to be really, really hard. And she struggles a lot with her children. And, um, but when she is left by her husband, it's like, um, like all she wants to do is like be a family again kind of Mm -hmm. thing. She's totally miserable without him. And she definitely needs him to help her with the kids because there's a lot because the responsibility is so great and she struggles being a single mother. Um, but but she really is just like, she doesn't want to give up her family if she could have her husband back kind of thing. The only time that she feels like she wishes she didn't have her kids at all is like, because she was left. Um, mm. And so it's like, so yeah, it, it, to me, those, these two, these two plots are really interesting side by side. Um, and yeah, I have a friend who's like very, um, like he has a young family himself and he is, um, but ultimately he's, he's also a former academic. Um, (laughs) and, um, but he's like, he, you know, is, well, he's a dude and he's, he's a dude and a dad. And, um, and uh, yeah, his, his family is like very, uh, he has a good family life or whatever. And so he is like, the lost daughter made me sick. It made me physically ill. Like he, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and he like, he really like had a very um, visceral reaction to it. And I was just like, you know, like, and, and it's because he was clearly like, it's something that he fears of like him being left. Um, wow. Not because, not because he feels like that's a threat. I don't think it's because it's like a, it's an actual viable threat to his life. I don't think that his wife would actually ever leave him, but it's like, there's, um, there's millions of plots of men leaving women. Yeah. Um, and it's always, that's always like a danger that you, uh, live through as a woman, I think. And, um, and yeah, I think that it's like, it is pretty it like it, it's pretty obvious why he had that reaction. Yeah. There there and there are very few plots of yeah, women leaving their families. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, just yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. I think the character like feels guilty. Yeah, I mean certainly. At the very least of like not living up to like some sort of expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's obviously, I mean, I guess that's another big point of like, she's going to these conferences and she's the only woman mm-hmm. in the room. Um, she's obviously pretty ambitious. That's how she got that Harvard job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but 
wants to have it all. <laughs> wants joking. to be a fucking girl boss. She wants to be a girl boss, a linguist girl boss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I do think there's, yeah, a lot of guilt. I don't yeah. think you'd have flashbacks if there wasn't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or like a pretense of like, when she's like, I don't remember. I don't remember my, like their childhood when she's like talking to Dakota Jan- Johnson. They're like, what? And she's like, I, I don't recall. And she like f- freaks out and leaves. <laughs> <sighs> Olivia Coleman's great. She's such she's a, a, she's such a gem. Um, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, it's it's it really. Uh, the message just seems to be like, don't be ambitious. <laughs> it's also just try. it's like abstracting. I don't know. I didn't really like this about it um, where it's like abstracting motherhood into this. Like, I just didn't like that. It was abstracting motherhood into this thing that like can be compared to a career. Yeah. A sense of like, a, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I think one thing I thought was interesting was like, it did seem like Olivia Coleman didn't know what she wanted yeah you know like yeah it was impossible like I think maybe that's one thing I liked about is that it because you're forced to make these um because women are often if they want to be mothers and if they're ambitious they're often forced to make some sort of compromise or um let go of some sort of dream to do one or the Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. um that it was like an impossible task because she didn't know what she wanted Mm -hmm. like she she couldn't decide um until she did and maybe she decided like late you know like Mm -hmm. abandons her kids Mm -hmm. when they're four and seven or whatever and then you see that with Dakota Johnson when she's like I don't know what's wrong with me like yes I'm happy yes I'm everything's great yes I'm happy I'm happy and then she's like I don't know why do I feel this way Mm -hmm. And it's like, it seems to be like an inability to know what you want. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also maybe an inability to really make a choice. Yeah. 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 You can't, you really can't, you have to say no to something. Yeah. You really can't have it, have it all. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have like heaps and heaps of wealth. Yeah. There's that influencer, Eva Chen, who is like, she was, uh, now she like is like head of Instagram partnerships or something, oh. but she was, she's worked in fashion for many years and, um, and she like, as her new role with Instagram, it's only, it's new as of like seven years ago. Like it's not, that new. um, but, uh, she like chaired the Met Gala and like did a lot of the organizing for that, whatever. And she's also like a children's book author and she's trying to write her own book and, um, and she's also like a mega influencer. So she's like always on Instagram, but of course she's always on Instagram because she works for them. But anyway, and she has three kids and, um, and I get the sense that like so much with, with any influencer, you, you, the reality is, is that like, they're just like putting on a front, like what you see from their like online content is like really not the reality of who they are. Like they have to, they have to play a part to yeah. feed the to feed the content monsters, uh, content consuming monsters. And she, um, 
And I think that like the role that she has burdened herself with is like the having it all kind of role. Like she'll t- she'll like show she'll show pictures of like her calendar and stuff. And she's just like, I'm so tired. I'm so burnt out. Look at all this shit I have to do. And then she's like, oh, I also have to schlep to like uh, drop off the kids and like do this, this and this. And um, and it's such a um, it's it's really it's it's really, really crazy. And I think that it's like kind of um, she she can only do it. And she is very transparent about this. Um, like her parents help out a lot, but she also has like two nannies um who yeah and so she has heaps of money to be able to like afford thing and all and like yeah she also has like a second home like they have they own their apartment in new york city but then they have like their second home upstate kind of thing and mm-hmm. um so it's just like you like that can't be that's also an abstraction of motherhood that is like not not the reality at all the reality for only like one percent yeah <laughs> yeah a fraction of a fraction yeah um yeah that's a great point it's just like I do feel like we see a lot of well we've always had mommy bloggers yeah. always <laughs> an internal um <laughs> truth it's mommy blogger. <laughs> and now it's like these influencers who are mothers who their kids are a huge part of their content Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and being mothers is a big part of their content and it's very to me it's uh, as a non-mother seems completely out of whack it seems (laughs) artificial for sure yeah even even in the struggle of it because like like Eva Chen will complain a lot about like how tired she is and like how much work it is to be a mom and it's like yeah obviously that's true but like you're like it's not I don't know it it just feels performative oh yeah I feel like um the moms I know would be too exhausted to make up that post yeah (laughs) seriously (laughs) be like I'll think about it later you know (laughs) um yeah yeah and it's uh well, and, and like, I don't know, there's, I feel a certain, I always feel like a tension of like, um, I think it's like sort of dumb to try to industrialize motherhood in this way of like, of becoming a mommy blogger and, um, you know, like tagging all your products on your Instagram posts and being like, I use these nipple covers for my, like when I pump, you know, like it just like gets down to those like minute details that it's all it is, is just like commercials. It's just ads. And, um, and this industrialization of like, of motherhood down into, uh, and sort of reducing it, I guess it's not even, it's the opposite of abstraction. It's like completely reducing it to just like the products that you use. Um, like that, I hate that. But at the, at the same time, I also hate the narrative that this narrative that like you can't be you that you're not doing philosophy and you're not doing language if you're if you're a mom yeah. kind of thing, which I also like was a little bit irked by with the lost daughter. Um, and I think that that's the that maybe is the point maybe is like she's supposed to be a little bit annoying because she like is pretentious and she like refuses to say that she teaches at Harvard even though she does kind of thing and um uh and she is a little bit yeah so she she is pretentious and she does 
think that she's sort of like better than everybody else because she like was single-minded focused on her career um and maybe that's why I I said I said that the message is like don't be ambitious because it's just like that just makes you like a twat but um (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's good it's good to be ambitious though but it's it but it's good to like go after it's good to know what you want to know yourself well enough to know what you want and then just go after that single-mindedly and whether that is like fully being like ensconced in your family or whatever um or or like going after a career that is not that is solitary and on your own and not focused on a family like it's just about knowing what you want and yeah making a making a choice because you can't have both <laughs> but but my point is is that like I don't like the industrialization of motherhood on the mommy blogs because it just like reduces everything down to products that you use but I also don't like the idea that um you can't you're not having a real career or you're not like um doing real you're not getting closer to real truth if you're if you're a mom either um yeah yeah there's like a um struggling to find the words but obviously right there's a not infantilization of motherhood (laughs) but uh, well, I guess just, you know, lack of appreciation and also a conception of it as, you know, not something that requires intelligence or, um, yeah. yeah, or really, you know, contributes to a larger functioning, which of yeah, course yeah, it does. Yeah. It's like the backbone of it, but yeah. yeah, it's not as worthwhile as, you know, studying language. Um, right, right. I like the term industrialization. <laughs> I don't like it, but I, I think that's interesting, especially with social media currently, because I do feel like I also see from these mommy bloggers, like the appearance rate is even when they talk about how hard it is to be a motherhood mother, they also portray their own motherhood as like incredibly like beautiful and that they everyone is always getting along and you know like that they've kind of found the secret mm-hmm. and sometimes it it you know it is almost portraying yeah it's portraying their motherhood as a job mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. that they do which obviously it is labor mm-hmm. but it's also you know not a nine to five <laughs> right and even when it's like in especially in the in the case of Eva Chen what I notice and what what I can't stop like sort of hate watching um is like even her issues which she is like she tries to be transparent about problems and she'll just be like oh why is my kid standing inside the flower bed like why is he standing on my tomatoes or whatever you know like she has like the and whatever uh (laughs) I won't try to minimize problems because I understand that problems have different gravitational weight in everybody's lives uh, based on context. But anyway, she even even her issues with her kids seem to resolve themselves very neatly and Mm -hmm. um, in a very uh, well packaged way, which I get obviously is like her way of um, expressing and telling the story kind of thing, which is like how all bloggers and influencers do. But um, 
but it also further reduces and it contributes to industrialization where it's like, even when you have issues, like some people really are, do look perfect uh, and their families look perfect. And then other times when it's like, I'm showing you the real motherhood, it's messy. It's Mm -hmm. crusty nipples. It's dirty diapers. (laughs) And it's like, uh, but even those problems are, um, not, uh, like they just, they just resolve themselves really quickly. Yeah. I also think on to that same point, (laughs) (laughs) um, is that the kids also become like products. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Which I mean, it's like very obvious, but they're also just like a set piece. Yeah. You're right. They're products for the background. Yeah. This onesie is from H&M. And yeah. Yeah. I know there's this like fashion lady I follow sometimes on and off. I unfollow her a lot. Uh, <laughs> influencer on Instagram. And she has this adorable child. And that, that's what she does is dress the child up now. And I'm like, the child is very cute. But this is getting to a creepy level. Yeah. It's like, this is all your kid constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that girl on TikTok who can predict influencer name baby names yeah that to me is also like canary in the coal mine like (laughs) if because she has a very thorough method and formula for figuring out the baby names and she is like right probably 85 percent of the time she gets it right she predicts correctly and um she goes off of like like things that factor into her analysis and decision predictive analysis is um like their aesthetic uh, color palettes and also like especially it her predictions get easier like if they have other kids um or if they have like dogs pets <laughs> that have names and so she can like predict based on that and it's just like if an influencer if if a broad swath of influencers can have their baby names predicted based on their own style like that's that's a clear indicator that their children are products yeah and it yeah. just seems really sinister in this whole like conspiracy theory around like, okay, they really want people to like be making like they want people to increase the population yes. and they're trying to increase um, birth rates kind of thing. Like you can't, it's hard to deny that kind of a conspiracy theory when you have this kind yeah. of association <laughs> going, <laughs> <clears throat> but mm. yeah. <laughs> interesting so twisted but um and so yeah it's like that is like the pendulum swings like way to the other extreme because it is true that like that um a woman's work (laughs) a mother's work is like intrinsically valuable to society and obviously (laughs) like it's you need and and the I think that people think that effective altruists are going to save the world but they're not going to like what's going to save the world is actually having a family that you care about. Does it have to be physical progeny offspring? Obviously not. That doesn't have to be what a family means, but having like this disintegration of like a family and a family can look however it needs to look, but the disintegration of a family is like not going to, it's not going to fucking save the world. Sorry. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And the episode is over. Oh, That's what we got from the last daughter. 
hey, I, I liked it. <laughs> I mean, there is, actually, I would say that that it does feel to be like the Ferrante theme, I think, as yeah. well, that you might be surrounded by people, especially people that are supposed to love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're completely alone. Yeah. There is no community. There's no real community, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just violence <laughs> and apathy. Um, <laughs> seems to be a big theme. Um, but I don't know. I thought this movie was interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm, it, was. it is very much like. I think to our larger theme of like, right, the resort as a set piece where mm-hmm. you don't even see that much of it either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it could have been anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a vaguely European Mediterranean um, backdrop in which the character becomes the central focus. Mm-hmm. And whatever she's running away from or running to is um is more of the the place that you're it's actually set in than any mm-hmm. any sort of location that it's based on and meant to be um meant to be like offering you the space and time to confront your darkness or whatever <laughs> to confront I'm- anything and that's the premise of love island too it's like they go to a villa <laughs> And they don't have, they don't know what time it is. They don't know what day it is. They don't have access to calendars or clocks and they don't have, they can't like talk to their family or friends. They don't have their phones. They, they're not on social media. Um, and it's like, you're supposed to go to this villa to just like hang out in the sun all day to like fall in love, to oh, crack man. on as they say. Anyway, I love Love Island. The finale is in four days. Can't wait for this summer. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, yeah, but I I agree. I'm just saying I'm that not- Love Island is like is taking is taking some some literary devices from this genre. <laughs> not to bring this out any farther, but have you watched any of the rehearsal with Nathan Fielder? No, I haven't. I need to because there's I so think, much buzz. I think you would. I mean, have you, did you watch any of Nathan for you? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it. He's getting, but the rehearsal is getting pretty heavily criticized, right? I've seen some criticism of it. It seems like, guys, <laughs> have you seen the, the show? And like the, the point of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, this is really like, this is really manipulative. And it's like, yeah. That's the, also the point of the show. I mean, he he's he's. I find him very hard to watch. Yeah. After a while, like there's the bit that it begins with, and then it gets like doubled down on <laughs> to a degree that's like insane. And I usually have to leave the room, but <gasps> this it, it, it is really good. Yeah. Interesting. That's it's funny that's how it is in real life. Like people who were like really into their bits and they just like, will not let them go. It's so exhausting to be around those people. I would imagine that <laughs> it's a very exhausting to be around Nathan Fielder. I mean, I think that's what you learned. That's literally the point of the show. 
Um, I have heard praise for it, though. That's like, well, at least he's like being real, like whether yeah. you like it or not, at least he's being real, which, um, yeah, seems to be like there's a big deficit of that these days. Well, I think that's where like Nathan for you ended up in these, this situation where it's like, okay, it's no longer about really like sort of duping these people or like, you know, showing how easily everyone's duped by reality t- TV, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but really about him and his utter loneliness. And that's this one gets even more into it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's important to cultivate family. <laughs> well, he's rehearsing it. <laughs> you know, people, sorry, this is my last, my last like <laughs> note on that tirade. And once again, it's about Mabel Dodge Lujan. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> my lady. Um, you know, people are constantly like when they try to like write about that scene of the early modernists in the Southwest and they write about like Willa Cather and Georgia O'Keeffe and um, oh, there's another lady that they like to talk about. Um, and they're all talking about the pre-modernist women artists. And they're just like, they're so great. They're so amazing. And Gertrude Stein was like amazing because she like had this, did this, this and this, whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, these women are so strong and amazing because they like are doing this thing and like they're breaking into whatever. And they're like, Mabel Dodge Lujan, like it, like she made the decision. She had a child young and like, she just like was finding husbands and she didn't really like do anything. Like it was like, she could have had such potential if she just like forgot about like trying to find a husband. And it's like, that's not it's completely missing the point and it's like really really fucked up and stupid because like it's just like she's the one who well first of all she used her she leveraged her husband's monies uh all four of her husband like especially but especially dodge um she leveraged their wealth to like found the armory show things like that um she was one of the founders and she also had like a huge salon in Greenwich Village where she like Emma Goldman was able to like be platformed kind of thing. And then in um, in Taos, her domestic space was this space where D.H. Lawrence and Willa Cather and Georgia yeah. O'Keefe, like all these people like are coming out. And it's just like um, it's like she served a massive, massive purpose. And also she did she did just as much harm as the pre-modernist ladies did to, you know, to um uh, if you want to like take that angle with it too, um, like she, she was a huge force and, um, but it just, it, it continues to like, yeah, it's just, it just continues this like pressure on like, you're not somebody unless you're like playing with the boys kind of thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I was like, I mean, Stein, like obviously now is known for her like experimental writing mm-hmm. But I think especially at the time and still now is also equally known for being like a patron and um, someone who fostered other artists in Paris. So that's like, so, but maybe because she like, the people she fostered were like very masculine and very male. Um, Maybe that's a, and that's kind of, what she was aiming for too, like to, to foster them. And like, she seemed to like a writer that was very masculine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I wonder if that's 
why? Like, that seems like a, such a weird distinction to be like pre Stein, but not. Yeah. And I think that um, there's a, I think that Gertrude Stein, uh, because she favors masculinity, um, like people on the default will just like, they just figured that there's nothing like that. Then it's beyond criticism kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas like Mabel was feminine, like Georgia O'Keeffe. And so they think that she should have like painted feminine things hmm. or like done things with like color. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird people. Yeah. People just have a lot of complex expectations on women. Yeah. And then don't let them actually like be women. No. <laughs> or be people. Yeah. People, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's some takeaways. As we said, this is going to, I don't know, get, it's not just about being on vacation. <laughs> It's about diving deep into the psyche. Psyche, into the traveling psyche, I guess. Into the... <laughs> it's a sneeze from behind the door. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the whole point. When you travel you reflect you get away you have some some distance from your real life yeah from the everydayness yeah things are thrown into contradiction juxtaposition relief (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's more than meets the eye that's the moral of the story come back next time (laughs) Where we get even darker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Truly dark, like crime. I was just looking at the Google Doc again, like really crescendos. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Mary. Thank this you, Bethany. Fun. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Have have a good day, Mary. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Did you know um, there's a place on the internet where you can get exclusive access to Sad Girl Syllabus News? You can join our Sad Girls Club by signing up for our newsletter at sadgirlsyllabus.com. And with the newsletter, you'll see updates on new episodes, um, announcements on content and stuff, uh, extra insights, links, reading lists, resources, um, that don't make it into the podcast episodes. And when you sign up, you get a little gift from us. It's a reading list, um, a true, a, a sad girl syllabus, actual syllabus, <laughs> sad girls one-on-one. And if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash sad girl syllabus. And for five bucks a month, you can watch all of our director's cut video episodes, uh, and get bonus episodes uh, when they come out. Uh, If you like what you hear, also please think about rating the pod on Apple Podcasts, sharing this podcast with your friends. It's really the best way to support us uh, is to help spread the word. Uh, So subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at Sad Girl Syllabus.